The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Think all place pots are the same? Think again. 10% bigger dividends when you bet direct with Tote Plus at tote.co.uk. Lots to look back on from the weekend. So much to discuss as well. And we'll do so with the returning first lady of the Final Furlong Podcast. It's been way too long. Kate Tracy. <laughs> Kate's been living her best life for the last couple of months. But yes, returning and happy to be back. So thanks so much for having me back on and for giving me my official title back as well. And I appreciate that. We never gave it away, to be fair. Um, <laughs> how was living your best life? It, it's been good. My voice is only just sort of coming back now, but um, it's been good. Yeah, considering it was all holidaying at home and staycationing and such like. But I th- feel that through the pandemic that's one thing i have learned to do better is to appreciate where i'm from and where i live and, and enjoy it so yeah i've had a really nice time thank you well done well done uh, i was meant to go on a little bit of a trip and then didn't feel well and realized that just as ireland is reopening i got covid well done there one trip to the cinema got me covid bloody hell nice so um I'm kind of technically speaking still in lockdown, but it's okay because you, you can't contract cooties via speakers or microphones, so it's all okay. <laughs> uh, we have a new guest to the show and a new member of the training ranks as well, for that matter, too. Uh, ben James, trainer based in the UK with a 100% runners to form percentage, according to the trade paper. Welcome to the Final Forum Podcast, sir. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Hi, Emmett. Thank you. No, thank you very much for having me as... Um no, long, long time fan and fanboying quite hard over here. Just uh, happy to be on. Thanks for, thanks again for having me. That's the quote we're going to go with. No, it's great to get you get you on. We'll talk about the weekend's flat racing, of course, the Air Gold Cup. We had some American grade one action as well. So there's also a lot of racing stories to get stuck into. The big news about Shadwell, we'll cover all of that. We'd love to hear more about how Ben got into racing and how his career has come about. But before all of that, we've already released a special on one of the GOATs. Altior. We recorded that show with two people who know him best, and that's Mick Fitzgerald, who now has the honor of looking after Altior in his retirement, which I think is just a lovely bookend and a lovely side note. So Mick and his wife, Chloe, will be taking care of Altior. And for the first time on the show, we interviewed one of the best jockeys in the UK and Ireland in Nico de Boinville, and he's an absolute gentleman and an absolute legend, and he gave us some great insight into what it was like to whiz around the grade one tracks like Kempton, Sandown and Cheltenham on Altior, what he means to him, what he's meant to his career, a great insight into the horse's mind as well. If you haven't heard it, and thank you for the kind words on social media from those of you who have, uh, it really does mean a lot, whether you've people have taken the time to email, direct messages on Twitter, actual tweets and if i haven't responded to you it's just because i've been feeling the garbage but i will try and get back to to everybody as soon as i can and the kind words genuinely do mean an awful lot we're an independent operation so it means a lot when you take the time to do that hopefully you're enjoying that show and enjoying this one as well for that matter ben i'll get your thoughts in a second but kate for you as we now look back on his glorious career. What was the standout moment for you with LTR? What was your highlight of his racing career? Oh, my fondest memory. God, should narrow it down to just one. That That's 
too difficult at this stage, at least anyway. Uh, when he beat Min, I think, in the in the Queen Mother Champion chase by seven lengths, and that was just awesome. I mean, he was just invincible, uh, this horse. And I know that this sort of retirement, it is, it, it has felt a little bit random, hasn't it? Because, I mean, I was quite sad that we don't get to see Altier on a race course again, but the decision here reportedly hinted at following his defeat at Sandown behind Grenatine, in the celebration chase at Sandown, where Altio, he still ran so well in the feast. And he clearly wasn't the force of old last season in those two starts, but still had so much talent and class that he would still have run to a top class level this season, you'd have thought. But he just wasn't the Altio, the invincible, that that um, was bringing up the succession of 19 straight wins where nothing could touch him. And that achievement shouldn't be underestimated. To even keep a jump horse that sound for that long is quite something let alone to keep performing at the highest level to that standard for so long. And I know in his later years, that run probably caught up with him because he just became blighted by little niggles and injuries because, as I say, probably because of how spoiled we, he and his connections were with him for so long, the good luck had just come to an end at some, had to come to an end at some point. You know, he isn't, he isn't a robot after all. And I just really hope people don't look upon Altio's career and remember the last two seasons mostly where, he was taken out of the, cri- the the Kringle Creek. That's the one. The Tingle the Creek Kring- because of the ground. <laughs> the Kringle the, the Chris Chris the Chris Kringle Creek. <laughs> We're getting into holiday vibes. Um, the Tingle Creek because of the ground. And it's been a while since I've been on this, so I can't speak again. And then he had his splint issues, which brought him out of a champion chase, and all of the contention that came with that from the media and people voicing their opinions on the matter because. The horse was brilliant. One of the all-time greats for sure. And he does deserve, like every horse does, a lovely, happy retirement. And hopefully Shishkin can fill the void now for the Henderson Yard. Yeah, and we'll discuss that in a second because there's big talk about that from, well, you just heard from Nico, but also from uh, Nicky Henderson, who was telling the trade paper that he hopes he can fill the void left by not just Sprinter, but also, of course, by, by Altior as well. Uh, ben, when you look back in his career... I mean, he's by High Chaparral, so technically speaking, he could have been going for for a different uh, a different career. Um, I know that uh, the mayor was obviously very much a, a brood mayor, but High Chaparral is one of the goats in my mind, and uh, one of my, my favorites of all time. So, while you are a, a dual purpose licensed trainer right now, you're you're focused on the flat, but uh, your appreciation of Altior as a as a racehorse. Um, what was your finest memory of him on the track? No, I think, as you say, I think he, he transcended across um, both codes of the sport, where, as you say, I'm more, int- more involved with the flat, but you couldn't help but um, admire winning the Supreme onto the Arkle and then two Queen Mother Champion chases mm. all inside four years. Um, he was obviously just a brilliant, dependable horse when it came round to Cheltenham in March. And for for many other uh, moments in the season. Um, I was there in 2018 and there was some gamble on on Dovan and then he suddenly drifted out. But there was a huge vibe about him. And obviously Ruby was supposed to be on board and he had that fateful fall from um, the horse who would go on to win uh, two Gold Cups in... Um, the Boom. Exactly. Al Boom photo. Um, who, ironically enough, Ruby then was like, I'm not riding him in a Gold Cup. Oh, crap. <laughs> as, he, as he stood there watching on Bells Hill, who, 
was one of the few horses to beat Altior. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Kate Harrington, getting Altior beaten <laughs> in a bumper, uh, but just a, a very different proposition. Um, once they put him over hurdles, uh, poor Kate always gets stick for that. But he he was a a very special racehorse, and I think that the constitution to be able to go and, and do what he did, and that's why I mentioned Dovan, is that Dovan was the next superstar. Like, it wasn't as if he might be. We were in no doubt he was going to be the next superstar. Look at how good he'd been in, in the Supreme. Look at how good he'd been in the Arkle. This was it. And sure, in the champion chase, he, he met, met with injury. And um, I think on another day, if he gets around and everything went perfectly, he wins that race. But the fact is that he didn't. And then he missed the entire season up until that champion chase when Ruby couldn't be on board and uh, Patrick took over, uh, knowing him so well. And he took that fall and he was swinging along on the bridle. He was going really well at the time. So it could have been, I don't think it would have been a seven length win. I think it would have been a really interesting battle. I think Altior still wins, but it's just proof that the constitution of, uh, because Dovan hasn't seen the race course since. And it's just proof that the, the constitution of Altior was, it, it, it was absolutely insanely good. And, that's an, another example of the brilliance of Nicky Henderson as a trainer. Um, mm. And I suppose, Ben, the only thing you can do in, in those instances, like from our perspective in the media, is to sit back and admire that. But what do you think it is? He, like, is it blind luck or is it some, some aspect of how he's training and campaigning his horses that leads to them being able to... Uh, have lengthy careers because there are have, there are obviously Nicky Anderson horses that unfortunately their careers have been curtailed but he guided this horse to a 19 unbeaten sequence as, and as Mick Fitzgerald stated those weren't just any old races they were grade twos and grade ones absolutely no um I think what you've got to, when you look at Nicky Henderson's success with horses like Sprinter, um, Altior, and now Shiskin, you've got to think of sort of the team behind him. He's obviously a brilliant trainer and has been for many, many years. Um, but he has his longtime assistant who stood by him for many years, whose name really annoyingly has, has just popped out of oh, my head. Toby Laws. Toby Laws, but the uh, older Before track. that. Oh, Corky. 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 Yeah, sorry, Corky. I yeah. mean, um, he had him standing by him for so many years and he was an integral part. And then you mentioned um, Toby, who rode out to you and did such a wonderful job with him. So so while you look at Nicky and what a brilliant job he does, you've got to remember that the staff he's got behind him are, are mm. the ones that are doing this day to day running of the yard, exercising of the horses, down to grooming them and putting them to bed at night. It's um, He's obviously a brilliant trainer with a wonderful team around him. And does that come then with just excellent man management? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, that can play such a key part in a in a yard with um, so many horses, and and as you know, quite often it becomes a numbers game, and you need numbers to succeed. It's interesting mm-hmm. how you can look at football and say, well, there's no comparisons between, but there are, because man management is obviously a massive thing in in football and in American football as well, in the NFL, which I'm a huge fan of too. And there's a lot of comparisons that you can take from those sports and apply uh, to racing that can that can help you succeed. And um, a 19 unbeaten streak is just 
ridiculous. Um, that streak ended with surname, and one of the weirdest things about that was the market confidence in Altior. Altior could not mm-hmm. be beaten that day. Like surname and Altior were pretty much locked together. Altior was obviously favourite, but they were very close in the betting the night before. They were close in the betting the morning of, but building up to the race, it was all about Altior. Uh, and surname had no chance, and that's not at all how the race panned out. And I just wonder—I know Nikki has, has said some, subsequently, and particularly in the last few days, that he looks back at that and regrets going up in trip. But I also remember doing interviews with Mick Fitzgerald and uh, and talking to others as well, who were saying, you know, the the way he just beat Politolog he's ready for a step up and trip. And it seemed to me as though, and we'll never really know, but it seemed to me as though there were, maybe the owner wanted to go up and trip, maybe Nico wanted it as well, um, but Nicky didn't, and and he just gave in um, to those outside pressures. And on the, on the back of that race, it was just three more runs. That's all we saw from him. Three more runs, and um, one of those was a, a victory when he was long odds on, and the other two were defeats. And you are right, Kate. He was, you know, he wasn't beaten far by by Green Team. It was end of the season. It was his first time wearing cheek pieces. You know, you could look back at that and maybe think, well, maybe things could be different. So, first one for you. Then, do you think it was the right time to retire him, Kate? Oh, I mean, no one, I never want to speak for people who know a horse an awful lot better than I do, because I would hate it if someone did that for me. If I knew a horse, I knew how they were behaving every day on the gallops, or I knew exactly how they were feeling in themselves. And if they were the same horse, you know, obviously they're getting proper in-depth feedback then um, from Nico de Boinville and sort of at what percentage he's still operating at Saudi or so. It, it's always something that I never want to pass too much judgment because we're only open to a limited amount of information rather than those who are connected to the horse know far more and, and they clearly have every bit of a horse's best intentions at the forefront of their mind. From the face of it, I still think he, he wasn't the same Altior last season. I do think that that defeat to surname bottom the pair of them I know that surname has come back and he's won a Charlie Hall really impressively but he's pulled up in his last two starts he's not been the same horse since then I don't think so I think that that race just the the attritional battle those two were in that did pay I don't think either of them are going to be the same well we're going to be the same horses again I think that left a scar on the pair of them there um, just to just to back that up, the, you and I were mm-hmm. were at Ascot together before the whole whole world went to hell in a handbasket uh, mm. when he took that fall, and we were beside each other, going, "Oh no, this is a disaster!" Mm. Like, "Oh no, like we can't lose one of the superstars." And at the same time, you're like, "How the hell is he going to get up?" And Harry Cobden looked crestfallen that day, mm. and I will never forget that roar from the crowd when he stood up. I'll never mm. ever forget that for for surname. Um, but he fell there. He then wins on his season return against Vindication, pulled up in the King George, pulled up uh, at Ascot in that race that he normally did so well in. Yes, he did finish second in the King George, but he was thrashed 21 lengths directly after that race with Altior. So you're 100% right. Neither of them were ever the same afterwards. 
No, that's it. And when and when a horse has been through that kind of a pain barrier, it, it is quite rare for a horse to, to go through it again. Then and I do just think that the pair of them at that stage that that did just um pay to both of them really going forwards. But without your he still was performing to such a high standard, not the same as I say invincible standard that we previously associated with him, but still to such a high standard. And so for that reason, I, he would have found it difficult to be winning the races that he previously was comfortably winning, especially with the newcomers up and coming in the two-mile division. And that division is getting harder and harder, as we know. So that would have made life more difficult. But he still, I think, would have performed performed to an admirable level, certainly so at the highest grade. But um, but I guess that's how they probably weighed it up, is that do we really want to see him on any sort of a decline, even if he's running well but not winning? You know, and so I, compl- so I understand why they retired him. When you look at the horses that he would have to be facing this season, that... Um, but, uh, but at the same time, it would have been great for racing fans to see him again and win, lose or draw he's just he's always going to be a superstar and it would have been fantastic to see him um out for another season but i respect the owner's decision and they feel that they've done best by the horse so i i have total respect for that ben for you no i'm probably gonna i'm probably have to do um agree with their decision i think when you've got a horse like that that's um that's been so invincible and so amazing all the way through his career from from novice uh hurdler to chaser to just all around sort of superstar. I th- I think you'd rather him sort of go out, not so much on a high because it has been a difficult two years, but go out with a lasting memory of him winning those races, not maybe finishing third and, and scraping second in grade ones um, through the coming year. So I'm sort of going to have to, to agree. I can see Kate's point certainly on the fact that that maybe it would be nice that he he exited through the front door as opposed to slipping out the back. But, mm. but I think on the risk of him pulling up or, as I say, just scraping home to finish third or fourth in in a grade one, we'd rather remember him for the horse he, horse he was and maybe not the horse he quite is now. Yeah, yeah. I agree with both of you. I think it, it is the right time. I know that there is discussion among among some that, you know, couldn't you run him again? But what's the point if... He's clearly he's clearly not showing them. I don't think this is Nicky being hyper cautious as he has been in the past. I think this is very much a case of Nico and the uh, the rest of his team, as you alluded to, Ben, are telling him, "Yeah, boss, we agree with you." It doesn't seem to me as though anybody has has gone to him and said, "No, let's go one more season." Um, mm. And and what a place to end up in. With uh, with Mick Fitzgerald and his and his wife Chloe, yeah. I mean, you couldn't end up with with better people. So great to get to talk to them, and um, great to be able to look back on the career of literally one of the goats. I, I said it to Nico, and I'll, I'll say it to you as well. Uh, for me, it was well, seeing as I I told Nico it was the supreme. I'll change my answer and and say <laughs> I'll I'll do a flip flop and say that I thought that battle he had with uh, on the so in the tinkle creek was just fantastic mm. and there's something about the tinkle creek that it's just it's a little bit special um particularly when you're winging around those fences at sandown and um mm-hmm. i really thought on so was going to do him that day I really thought under so ground, yeah. I think a lot of people did that. Oh, there, I was, everyone thought that was going to be yeah. I was convinced. I was like, we got gotcha. you, we got gotcha. you. 
just the four links. Just the four links he wins by. Um, and, and that was Ruby Walsh on Under So as well. And yeah, the, the, the gra- and the ground was soft. Like everything was in Under So's favor. And yet Altior managed to go and win by four links. That just goes to show you just what an incredible racehorse he was. Uh, 19 mm. consecutive wins, a world record at the time, and 1.3 million pounds in prize money. Uh, Altior, you, you enjoy your retirement and you deserve an incredibly lengthy retirement as well. Uh, we've so much more to talk about on the Final Forum podcast today. But first of all, um, Ben, with your 100% runners to form strike rate, uh, <laughs> where did your career in racing begin and where did your ambition to become a trainer you're based in dorset where did that come from um it's a probably a pretty tricky question to answer really because um it's it's not a link through family or even friends or anything like that uh mum and dad were both teachers and i just sort of i was always liked animals um that transcended into watching sister have pony lessons and thinking that might be a good idea and on the side of that getting into racing watching channel four and um the morning line shows like that at the races um or sky tv sky racing as it is now um and just getting into it through that when i was then sort of 14 15 uh i went to work in my sort of local-ish racing stables i should give a, a huge shout out to my dad he used to have to drive an hour every morning uh every saturday morning to drop me off and then an hour to pick me up again. So that oh, was lovely. four hours, four hours of his Saturday gone, but hopefully it's working out for him now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I did that before um, I went off to the racing school where I met the lovely Kate Tracy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> was that nine who? years now? Nine <laughs> years ago? Nine years ago now. Um, nine years ago. How old are we now? <laughs> it's scary and I really don't like to think about it, but um and after leaving there, sort of, um, went off to work in Newmarket. So uh, I had a brilliant introduction in the very early, early years. Always thought that training was something I wanted to do, probably before I even really knew what training a racehorse was. You sort of see the winning jockey and the winning trainer and you think, well, I, I enjoy food, chocolate, Sunday roast and everything <laughs> that goes in between. Far too much to be a jockey um, <laughs> and thought trainer would definitely be the next best thing. Uh, and that's where it that's where it sort of started. Uh, I love the fact that you don't come from a racing background, which is similar to myself and similar to Kate as well. And yet you've mm-hmm. you've managed to work your way into racing and do so through your sheer love of the sport, because that's not an easy thing to do. It's by far an easy thing to do, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think that there is a lot of resentment to those who are almost, I don't want to say handed, but the opportunity to engage or the opportunity to begin a career in racing. I think that there, there is resentment from trolls and uh, and from others. And, and that may be one of the reasons why they come in for, for more abuse. Uh, there's a very simple fact. You're either good enough or you're not. You're either going to make it or, or you won't. This sport is going to test you. And it will, it'll find out very quickly who's capable of making it and who isn't. And you will never fake your way through this. It's not possible. So the fact that you have managed to build a career as a trainer and you did all the right things, 
but that that all came and that you're now having success, but that all came from watching Channel 4 racing and really the same thing that, that Kate and I were doing. The only difference mm. is that I didn't, I didn't go to, to um, Godolphin Flying Start or, or to racing school. Uh, I just went, <laughs> broadcasting, yeah, I'll, I'll talk crap about it instead of Kate's ambition of you wanting, wanting on to be a jockey. Miles. Yeah, no thanks. No thanks. Could you imagine this back? <laughs> imagine this back taking fall. Well, I did the mocking out. I'm sure yeah. we can make up for it now. I mean, yeah. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. An, an open invite there to Ben's yard. There Absolutely. You go. <laughs> Anytime. Special final Furlong podcast feature as Kennedy mocks out Ben James's yard. Uh, I did I did do all of that in, in my show jumping days, which were, were limited. Um, and I was terrible at I, I no, I was terrible at it. I was gonna say I got I got good at staying on a horse, that was about it. Um but even that, even the mucking out, while that's not a pleasant experience by any means, uh I still enjoyed. I, I still enjoyed being around the horses and being around other people and um people who clearly loved racehorses or in this instance, um thoroughbreds and show jumpers as much as, as they did and there was a couple of X-ray sources in the yard, uh, but it was all about for me. It was all about wanting to be involved in the sport, and the only way that I knew I could be was through broadcasting. For you, realizing that you didn't want to be a jockey because you weren't going to sacrifice the Sunday roast or the uh, the pizza, um, <laughs> whereas Kate did go down that that line, and if she hadn't, well, you know maybe you shouldn't have met Kiran. So it's um, all of these things happen for a reason. And also Kate's ability to be able to break down a race and have the knowledge that, that she has, which is phenomenal, by the way, comes from, I, I think it comes from your time as a jockey, Kate. I think it comes from all that you learned uh, as a jockey and your ability to race read and predict how a race is going to be run comes from that as well. Um I think, I think Ben's more qualified in the saddle than I am, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm not sure about that. I, um, I had a, a really good sort of fun three years being an amateur, um, sort of riding between pointing and, and a few rides on the flat, um, 40 or so, and, and had a lot of fun doing that. But it, it, was, it was, as you say, Amit, a, a means to an end for the fact going forward. It, it helped me read races and... Mm know what try and get in the mind of a jockey now i've never called myself say i have a jockey's mind but at least i've had that experience i think the worst thing you can often see do is is trainers come on and not that happens too often but trainers come on and blast jockeys and mm. maybe you don't see it so much in the media but you hear plenty of it and you just think you've got absolutely no idea what that feeling is and yeah. what that split second decision is all about um trainers decisions are as i'm now finding out sort of calculated and through experience and through time but if you get it wrong you've got a, a quick chance to make up for it whether that be the next day the next week or the next month whereas a jockey's got nothing they've got that one opportunity and i often thought i was a terrible terrible point-to-point -point rider but i often <laughs> thought that it was those split second decisions were so much harder making made point to pointing because you'd lose the the race obviously was over so much further and those decisions lasted so much longer but they were made just a 
Definitely, if you get my drift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sort of thought that was, and I've got the most utmost admiration for any jump jockey through the dangers, but also through the tactical nous of those split-second decisions being made over and over again, over two miles, three miles, four and two, whatever the nationals these days. Yeah, well, a good question because um, the not quite four miler is probably going to change again, and the Grand National, uh, they're constantly adjusting. But it, it, as you were saying that, you were instantly reminding me of uh, once again, just because I was covering it live on Talksport, John Gosden coming out and saying, "Yes, well, finally, um, Lanfranco has admitted that he was at fault for um, Stradivarius's defeat in the Gold Cup, and I'm glad that he's finally got that one off his chest because it's been." bothering me all season and every time Stradivarius has run since or a microphone has been put in front of him he's been hammering the Tory for his run in the Gold Cup <laughs> it's like you're right that you know it's it's one thing for for even for us to, to question how a jockey has uh, ridden in a race and my philosophy on that is always give praise where it's due but you criticize where it's due as well like if you think someone really messed up then you highlight it if you think someone did something brilliant, then you highlight that. <laughs> Aston has been just on this mission to make it make it known. I'm not happy with that, and I want him to admit it. And finally, he did. It's like, well, I just I'm broken down. I'm glad he got that off his. <laughs> so Frankie started on Holly instead. Then it's all a passing of the passing flame. <laughs> Frankie goes out and says, "It's Holly Doyle's fault. It's no fault of There's no pace." Fafanapoli! No piss in race! Oh, man. Absolutely outstanding stuff. Um, did you always know that it was about training? And did you feel that you made connections that you wouldn't have made as as a jockey in your career that have proved to be vital to you now as a trainer? I'm not sure, sure whether I made too many connections um, sort of as an amateur, but... I think I sort of learned how to deal with owners, trainers, how they would like to be spoken to, how I could best promote myself when I'm talking to those sort of people. So maybe I didn't make that those actual connections of, of phone numbers. I'm not, oh, I remember you and this and that, but I certainly learned, I think I learned how to talk to those people and how to get my views across the best I possibly could mm. in what I thought was my sort of field of near expertise. I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't go the whole hog there. Okay. Uh, how many horses are currently in training with you? Uh, just the four. So you're very much taking it uh, slow. You want to build the team up. Um, and you do have a dual license. So we could perhaps get the final front podcast jumper in training with you, Ben. Absolutely. Yeah. No, he'd be more than welcome through the gates. Um, all the facilities that you could ever dream of, sort of um of a training base two great gallops uh, grass gallop separate to that schooling fences stalls there's there's nothing we want for and um we're looking to as you say just just grow as it is um i'm actually salaried to the the people that um that own the property so that works brilliantly because we we've sort of got each other's backs it's not it's not me trying to be out there on their own um mm. They're very supportive, and but they want it to grow. They, it's their business, and they want it to grow. So we're we're really looking to push ourselves forward and get a few outside horses. But we made a brilliant start with um, a little horse we picked up for for not very much money. Um, we've got a couple of homebreds and a couple more coming through. 
So it's really exciting the position I'm in. And I'm I'm very lucky to be so. Was it Vitaline you picked up for four grand? Yeah, that was it. Who's by due diligence? Jesus Christ! How did you get for that money? It's, it's ridiculous. We um, no, we I say we look very clever, but the horse is certainly making us look very clever at the moment. Um, mm. He was. It was an online February sale. We liked the look of his videos. Uh, I sort of noted that he was a pound below his only winning mark, and we thought we'd take a punt, and and we've been rewarded sort of ten times over. I think he's won nearly, I think he's nine and a half thousand pounds, as you say, off of of the four we bought him. Now, of course, he's not he's not standing in a stable for free, but there's not many horses that I think you can do that. I think he's now yeah. he's now improved sort of twenty pounds from the from the mark we started winning on with him. Back at the end of June. Yeah, I was just looking at that because he started his career with Rod Millman, and it's not often that Rod would let one slip through his hands. But when you got him, he was sixty, and now he's seventy-three. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, seventy-seven. Seventy-seven. Apologies. So, uh, of course. The, the Tuesday update always catches me out. So, no, but, we're we're really getting into the uh, smart handicap. I could go with the private guide and tell you that the Racing Post ratings have him at 60 on his last run for Rod and 81 currently for yourself. And that will have gone up as well. Well done, mate. And mm. long may it continue, Ben. And we look forward to Thank seeing... Thank you, indeed. We look forward to seeing your first jumper in action as well. Um, <laughs> Carrying the final furlong colours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just thinking now that uh, for Lobrine. Sarah Lynham will all be getting in touch going, what the f***? What's all this? Is it? <clears throat> um, um, we do well, love Dorset, though. We do just love Dorset. Well, Dorset is... is <laughs> they may just have to be down there, I'm afraid. Yeah, it's, I it's, think so, yeah. I, uh, yeah. No, brilliant part of the world. And um, no, you could entertain any owner down here. It's, it's mm. a stunning part of the world. And uh, the fact that you've got so many toys as well, by the way, at the training facilities is just beautiful as well. A long and successful career, Ben. And um, we're looking forward to talking to you more on the Final Forum podcast as well. I have been contacted by a number of Final Forum podcast listeners going, when is the first jumps preview? It's actually not that far away. I think it's the final week in September when we're doing our, our first one for Weatherbees. You don't have to wait that long. Don't worry. We're coming in hot because our good friend Paul Ferguson has his Jumpers to Follow book again. And yes, there will be another Final Forum podcast offer to be able to get you a gravy discount on that as well. But we'll look back in the Air Gold Cup. Kevin Ryan and Kevin Stott teaming up for victory, beating Great Ambassador and doing so impressively. And I don't think Lee McKenzie and myself did ourselves any favours. Astilio disgraced us, despite becoming a monstrous gamble about an hour after the podcast went live. We ended up making a mistake. I thought Tuala was promoting it on social media. Turns out she wasn't. So it got no social media promotion. And yet the numbers were huge on it. So thank you very much to all the loyal Final Forum podcast listeners who have pushed notifications on their phone or go searching for it. Much obliged. Hit the subscribe button. You'll never miss an episode. There were other winners in there as well. So you're okay. To get this right, the Air Gold Cup yeah. is won by Bielsa. Bielsa's coach of Leeds. Of yeah. Yeah. Uh, dirty Leeds. <laughs> who are supported by Kevin Ryan, who trains the yeah. winner. And the jockey, Kevin Stott, I didn't know this, had schoolboy you... trials with Tottenham Hotspur uh, and is a lifelong Man United fan. Boo! Boo! What a disappointment that is. Oh, that is just absolutely shocking. By the way, Liverpool are going to win the league again. 
<laughs> Actually, Ben, who do you support? Even more shockingly, I'm a Middlesbrough fan. <gasps> Are you? So that, that is so random. <laughs> that is so random. Again, but my father's making more appearances on this podcast than I am at the moment, but he was a big Middlesbrough fan. Uh, we used to travel up the road um, to go and watch them. So that was what I grew up with. That's what I know. And it's been haunting me for 27 odd years now. <laughs> Just on the Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Stott and football, I actually was very lucky to play with him in... Uh, they did a England Island stable lads competition for a few years, and he was in it. And he is a brilliant footballer. Really, oh. I'm surprised that Tottenham didn't take him on all those years ago because he is a top top so player. Good. Well, a good the, guy at the same time, which should always be mentioned. Their loss yeah. is our benefit. Then you were good, actually. I remember at racing school, you you went off to football like of a few evenings or something. I did indeed, but when I was running around against a couple of mad Irish boys, it was actually <laughs> quite a bit easier. Than it it's soon for you and your place. <laughs> Who were probably doing a bit of Gaelic football rules as well. That was it. I couldn't work out why they kept trying to pick it up and, <laughs> and then tackle, tackle me around the way. Tackle me around the waist. I didn't get it. And don't forget that as you pick it up, you got to use your foot. Yeah, you just randomly pick the ball up off the ground like a goalkeeper. I wouldn't dream of it. This is this is where my my learning is coming in this evening. <laughs> Proper Gaelic football stuff there. Even though I am a hurling fan, it was a pretty decisive victory in the end for Bielsa. But can he make the jump to being a Group One sprinter in your eyes, K Tracy? He probably is a Group Horse after that performance. Yes to follow his own path on the sandside rail without any assistance from another runner in one of the most competitive handicaps of the entire season and to win by over two lengths is quite a performance and he had the beating of horses who certainly are group caliber which tells you itself that this lad is very well handicapped and probably a group performer as well because it is interesting with the air gold cup because we see it year after year that the bronze and the silver cup seemingly pace and draw biases can be totally misleading we saw it last year where the Bronze Cup winner came from Sandside Rail, the Silver Cup winner went far side, and the Gold Cup winner of last year came down the centre after being held up and making his own way through the pack. This year, the Bronze Cup winner came from centre to far side, the furthest on the far side, in fact, but not actually against the far side rail. The Silver Cup winner, Staxon, came uh, completely on the far side against the far side rail. So understandably, before the off for the Gold Cup, horses drawn low were being well-backed, but it just it can just be so misleading. And that's, again, how it's proven here because Kevin Stott was always going to race on the Sandside Rail because it was fresh ground, no fear of traffic issues of bunching. And Bielsa is just a horse who he goes right anyway. So it all worked out perfectly for him and for Kevin Ryan, who uh, Ed Walker must be cursing at the minute after Emma Artiana beating Starman in the Betfair Sprint Cup. And now Ed Walker's well back great ambassador being beaten by Bielsa here. But it was good to see this horse get back to winning ways for the first time since October 2019. And he was running off just a one pound lower mark than when finishing ninth in this race last year. We knew he liked given the ground. So the good ground was ideal. And he's run this race in a really good time as well. So by just 0.73 seconds off standard with his cheek pieces taken off as well. So he does look a group performer. Yes, who's hopefully now he's got his head back in front going the right direction again. Yeah, actually, that is a fantastic point about uh, Ed Walker. He's probably going, bloody <laughs> Kevin Ryan. Uh, yeah. Ben, what was your reaction to the Ergol Cup winner? No, I thought it. I my sort of first port of call was what a brilliant tactical ride it was from Kevin Starr. Mm. As Kate says, to to ignore that sort of 
the the bronze cup winner coming down the middle an hour or so before the uh, silver cup winner making all not making all but sticking to the um, far side rail but for Kevin to stick to the near side rail on that fresh ground and I think that was something that was discussed between um, obviously the two Kevins but also the ownership group and and Al Donald who um, is sort of head honcho at King Power Racing I thought that was something that he took quite a part in so should probably take take some of the applause for the victory as well. Whether he's a group performer, a group performer, I agree with. Whether I think he's really going to sit at the top table with your Starman, Dragon Simmel, Emma Artiana, and, um, and Roger Teal's, um, Roger Teal's sprinter. Oxted. Oxted, thank you very yeah. much. Right. I think he's probably just going to fall below that. I think it was a brilliant mm. training performance yeah. to take the cheek pieces off uh, and a brilliant ride for uh, Kevin just to, to stick to what he'd been been advised, stick on that stand rail, and a really impressive winner. And having said that, maybe he is just coming right. He had a sort of a stop-start um, career early on through his three- and four-year-old um, seasons, and now maybe he's just coming right and we are going to see something better. But whether he's going to really come to the form group races, I doubt. Yeah, mm. it's been one of the talking points of the season. Um about the the sprinting division and who's going to be the the king or the queen of it, and it's been one of the talking points over the last couple of days as well about oh, can Bielsa make the step up? I don't think he can. I think he he might be able to get involved. He might grab himself a group three or a listed. He may even place, but he's six, um, and he's rated ninety eight. So I'd be more interested in great ambassador stepping up and. Um, I will say that for Kevin Ryan, like what he's done this season or in the last few weeks with just another bottle, which was a nice gamble landed for the team, by the way. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Delarkey will be back on the Final Forum podcast soon. Um, like that was outrageous. Um, and he's gone on to run very well since that. Uh, what he's done with Emiratiana, more importantly, at group level. Placing in the group one and then winning one is um, is a bit ridiculous as well. But the entire sprinting division, like Eddie Lynham has, and, and fair play to to the jockey for holding his hands up and saying, look, I'm, I'm responsible, I got her beaten last time out. For a romantic proposal to have started her career unraced as a juvenile, starting out as a miler, and this season... Eddie deciding, I think you've got more pace in you and getting her to a, a point where she could win a, a good handicap. I thought she could win the Wokingham. I completely understand Eddie's reasons for not sending her there. Sarah's been very good at explaining it as well. That resulted in a Group 3 win. They tried their hand at Group 1 company. Like I said, Jockey held his hands up the last day and uh, is rewarded with a Group 1 win. Now, if you'd said at the start of the season, Romantic Proposal is going to be a Group 1 winner, you'd have been laughed at. If you said Emiratiana is going to be a Group 1 winner and Group 1 placed, and you just look at the list of sprinters this season, they just keep beating one another. I think that Great Ambassador has the potential to be able to, without being harsh on, on Bielsa, I think he has the potential because he's young enough and he's rated already in the hundreds that he could emerge from this race as a, a group player next season. Would you agree with that, Ben? That, or do you have a completely different view? And in which case, by all means, 
Come at me, bro. Destroy me. Absolutely. No, no, no. I um, I'm my ball is fully in your court. I couldn't agree more. I think he's he's probably the horse to take out of it. Um, certainly for next year, I think he looks like a an obvious, uh, not an obvious improving sprinter. He's just an improving sprinter. Um, Ed Walker's got had his team in top form all year, and he'd definitely be a horse to follow going forward. Where he falls with regards to Starman, uh, I don't know, but. He's definitely a horse to to keep on the right side of going forward. And Kate, I mean, and actually, for you, Ben, first of all, if there was a sprinter at Group One level that you would take out of the season so far, as we head towards one, the Prix de l'Abbé, and two, uh, Champions Day, and to be fair, the Breeders' Cup as well, because a number of the British and Irish horses are going to go over there. Uh, who would you pick? Uh, that's a difficult question. I'd probably. I'd probably pick as a favourite sprinter, Starman, as I've sort of mentioned. Going forward, I think if you were going to lay those sort of races out in front of me, it'd probably be, I know, for your favourite and one of mine, um, Dragon Symbol. Go on, the symbol! Come on! I, um, I do question this, and I'm certainly not a man to question Archie Watson because he's a brilliant trainer, but um, I'd like to see him, see him step back up to six furlongs for sure. Yeah, to be fair to um, to Oshin, uh he did say that, look, we're going to go for five and we were going to stick with it. And he was talking about coming over to um, to Champions Weekend and so in, in Ireland. So, like, look, it, it's obviously been an agreement between both of them and the owner to, to go for the five. But um, I thought they were on but to But he's something. only three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's only three. I mean, three-year-old year for a sprinter is the, is the hardest time for them. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Um, so next year, the year after, he could still be a real force to be reckoned with. And he's been on the go since the beginning of the season and was unraced as a juvenile. Absolutely. So there's so much Another more winter to on his back, a bit stronger. He could come back and be really anything. Yeah. I, I would imagine that they'll go, I don't know, I haven't asked Oshin yet, but I would imagine they'll go... You hardly stick at five and go for the Abbey. Um, you either go Champions Weekend or you take a break and go Breeders' Cup. And I think yeah. Delmar will have been in touch already. I know that they're making calls this week. So, um, And Josh from the Breeders' Cup will join us next week on the show for a, a special to talk about that. Um, Wings of War gets the job done in Group 2 company. So he had run a monstrous race in the sales race behind Ever Given. Um, Tom Daskam and uh, Tim Easterby's horses finishing in front, Tommy Lady, uh, but Ever Given obviously winning the race. Uh, Wings of War, Lucy was on TalkSport with me. That's what I knew there was something about this that, that stood out to me. So she was on TalkSport with me um, making her debut and she had heard from Clive Cox that Wings of War was one of his best and that they expected really big things. He then gets beaten on his next chart on the all-weather, which was a bit of a oof, uh, kicking the teeth to, to them. Um, but it resulted in him being a bigger price for this race uh, because people then started to doubt him. And my mind was set towards Dabab, as I was saying on the preview show. But uh, Wings of Horus came through really well. He was ridden a couple of furlongs out, Kate, but... Uh, mm. In the end, he's um, he's done enough to hold off Hugo Palmer and, and Oshin Murphy's challenge. He has, yes. Um, I have to admit, I was a little bit underwhelmed by this year's Mill Reef. I thought that going into the race, and 
for all I was fascinated by many of the form lines going into the race, but that was mainly in relation to other two-year-olds who weren't lining up here, most mm. notably the Babs form line with native trail from the superlative stakes and if he could boost that form himself. But I was disappointed he couldn't win here, really. Hierarchy in second was a horse um, who I thought should have been bringing out the hat-trick on his last start at Kempton, but failed to do so. Really likeable horse, all the same. But at least he has given the form a solid look to it by finishing behind Wings of War again, but by a closer distance of a head this time, as opposed to a half-length at Kempton previously. But this lad was good in his own right here. Uh, Wings of War, after being keen in the early stages, he clearly has plenty of pace because he was coasting through the race before taking a few strides to really get into top gear when asked to mount his challenge and chase down Hierarchy, who just got first run on him. But Wings of War, just like his sire Dark Angel, whose progeny have a cracking record in the Mill Reef, with um, none other than Clive Cox's other star sprinter by Dark Angel, Harry Angel, winning the Mill Reef on his second start in 2016. Nice with started. another Dark Angel. Yeah, and, and another Dark Angel filly in second behind Harry Angel as well, in perfect Angel. So uh, going forwards, that's the trend you really want to be taking seriously in the Mill Reef. Dark, hang, so, on, hang on, Dark Angels in Mill <laughs> Reef. Okay, I kind of goes without saying, but it's all the same when you actually go back through it like god they just win it <laughs> so um so with wings of war he's about 14 to 1 i think for next year's commonwealth cup which looks at his bag as he looks a sprinter certainly but as two-year-olds go i think there are still plenty ahead of him but they're all likely to well mostly to make up into guinea sources next year anyway apart from perfect power who is the best six furlong two-year-old in my opinion and hopefully we'll see it on saturday yes i'm very much in agreement with you about perfect power by the way um mm. I was really disappointed with Tabab. I expected so much more, particularly after the break. Mm. I thought he was really going to improve for that. And uh, the Gosden horses have been running well. I have to say the Gosden horses because it's John and Thady now. Um, Thady, who I believe is coming on the show soon. Is that right? Yes? Excellent. Fantastic stuff. Uh, Twala doing her, her um, wondrous work as always. Uh, ben, what was your assessment of uh, this year's Mill Reef? Uh, I'm certainly impressed with the winner. I thought he, as Kate says, I thought he did a lot wrong in the early stages. Mm. Um, he looked like he wanted just gone half a stride. And I think if they had gone on half a stride early, he'd have probably been more impressive to the line. He looks that sort of, that sort of class of horse that wants to go quick and could go quickly, really stretch himself out over six. Um, as we said, we've sort of linked on dark, Sons of Dark Angel um, doing well in this race. And that's probably because he was the winner of it in 2007. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I thought, and I think he, as you've Kate's alluded to, I think he looks all over a Commonwealth Cup horse uh, race that Clive Cox has had uh, plenty of success in. Um, and I think he really, he really could be anything. I, hopefully, if you invite me on a year later, I think he might be the the sprinter that I that I choose to to have in my stable. Ooh. Along with Starman and Dragon Symbol, I think I'll just sit there. <laughs> I'll sit there and and look at them all morning long. I think that'd be brilliant. Like, That's fair. That's fair. Fair string. It's like it's like football manager, just like accumulating all the stars. <laughs> yeah, just line them up. Just yeah. bring, bring in all the superstars into your yard. Uh, it's just like yeah, I don't have any issue with how I'm gonna. Uh, place these horses. Um, William Buick decided to stay in the UK as he's chasing the, uh, mm -hmm. and we'll talk about this a little bit later on as well, the uh, the epic trainer's title. But it did hurt his bank balance because um, Lanfranco uh, was over in Canada in the Woodbine International. He's now the winning most jockey of the 
Patterson, Canadian International, which must be the longest running uh, sponsorship for quite some time for, for a Group 1 race, uh, or at least it's up there. Um, as every time I've seen the Patterson Canadian International, it's been them sponsoring it. But uh, Walton Street was sent over by Charlie Appleby, um, one of a few. They did a big North American double on the night, and uh, £206,000 of the Queen's finest sterling, um, heading Charlie Appleby, Sheikh Mohammed, and Frankie de Torre's way as Walton Street bolted up from Desert Encounter back in second. So very much a, a European affair, Kate. Yes, it really was, wasn't it? So, which is great to see. And it just goes to show the genius of Charlie Appleby as well, that he can travel wherever around the world with his runners, pick up grade ones or group ones, wherever he goes. And such is the strength and depth of his yard that that is possible to have these options as well as go pot hunting internationally. And Walton Street is another perfect example of that. He's just a very much a globe trotter himself nowadays with Walton Street sent off as a short price favourite for the Canadian International and Frankie Dottori, he basically just dictated the race from sat in second with the leader, Primo Touch, going off in clear in front. Frankie just didn't get involved, so he dictated the pace of the main pack before then leading two furlongs out, quickening up nicely as like to run out in his sixth length winner from the admirable Desert Encounter who just loves this time of year and loves travelling and loves this race evidently because he was going for the hat trick of wins in this race, but just bumped into a fellow uh, country horse who demolished them all. So no, really good from Walton Street and just a, another, another good win for Charlie Appleby this season. Yeah, he's having uh, tr- almost some would say a season of all seasons. <laughs> I was waiting for it. If, if I teared up here, will he hit this? <laughs> I was, I was going to say a great season, and then it just hit me and went, "Oh, you can't miss no. that opportunity," uh, especially yeah. when it's been you teed up by out Kate. Didn't say that then. Yeah, yeah, you teed up, Kate. I'll knock it out of the park. Um, but for for Walton Street to be a seven year old gelding and still winning at the highest level. Highest level uh, asterisks in North American terms. By the way, we'll change that when it comes to the Breeders' Cup and we'll have a very, very different attitude then. But d- does it say something about the the international division or the international turf horses, Ben? Because uh, Naomi was on the show at the start of the season or maybe just some way into the flat season. She was saying, oh, no, no, no. The, the American and North American turf horses are much better now. Seven-year-old gelding Walton Street and Desert Encounter pull clear and uh, go and win the Patterson Canadian International. I, th- I think it says it says a lot about um, our cousins in America and their neglect probably for for breeding mile and a half turf horses. Mm. It's mm. been like that for a while now. They breed horses to win the Triple Crown and and probably neglect the rest sort of thing. Yeah, they do seem to be having a change of heart. Uh, as in, they, they do seem to be taking more of a of a stance of, hey, there's a lot of money to be won on the flat. Maybe we should, with turf horses, maybe we should start investing more so in, in this uh, and, and less so in the other. But um, they're, if, if that is what they intend to do, they're a little bit off the mark as of yet. And um, I, I remember the, uh, the mayor... The, the filly that uh, Naomi mentioned, and Naomi's the best, by the way, she's amazing. Um, but the, even the, the filly that she mentioned has been absolutely destroyed by Santa Barbara this season. So uh, it just goes to show that right now we still very much hold the upper hand, and kind of rightly so. We're not breeding dirt horses. You know, we're mm. breeding. I know we are to a certain extent. There are dirt horses in uh, the UK and Ireland 
who race on turf. And, it, and, and there's Mishraf as an example, uh, who I'd love to see run in the Breeders' Cup Classic, but um, John Gosden doesn't seem to be having it right now. But anyway, uh, not long after that, Yabir, uh, of course, at Gelding, mm. and so he can't run in some of the top races in the UK, but the great voltager hero uh, comes out and wins the Belmont Jockey Club Derby Invitational. Now, this is a very valuable race. At 390,000, after you do the con- currency conversion of the Queen's finest sovereigns, uh, going to the winner. And wait, oh, what's all this? Bolshoi Ballet thrashed in behind. Uh, why am I not surprised? <laughs> uh, so let's give you beer his, his due, first of all. Uh, ben, how impressed were you with him? Uh, I think I was I was more impressed with with Jamie Spencer's um, ride and his continued effort from the absolute get go. I think it was quite interesting when I looked through the race. I noticed it's only been run in uh, 2019 and 2021, and Jamie Spencer's actually won both renewals. Um, <laughs> so that that's quite a record, and I, ho- I hope he keeps it up. But I thought it was it was a strange performance, very dominant at the end, but. He looked, I'm not going to say green, but he looked near off the bridle for the whole contest. And then whether he outstayed horses that we sort of alluded to maybe aren't bred for a mile and a half on turf, I don't know. Um, just another great bit of placing by Charlie Appleby um, to take advantage of, of a gelding that is not going to be running, obviously couldn't have run in the ledger last week, can't go for the arc, misses big season targets, so why not go, go pot hunting there? But uh, a strange performance from what is probably a very quirky horse, hence why he's he's not got all his gentleman tackle in, <laughs> in with him anymore. Yeah, the, Nicely put. The meat, the meat and two veg, no longer yes. there. And, they uh, are, yeah. Uh, they're sitting in the vet's, vet's silver, <laughs> silver bucket somewhere. There, there's a happy vet's dog somewhere who's just uh, going, and wh- when's the next one? When's the next operation? Um but no, you're you're 100 percent right that, um, and and this is a let's not, let's not forget this is a guy who was going to retire a few years ago. Uh, he'd had enough, and uh, whatever changed his mind, thankfully it did because he's a, a top class jockey, and for a horse who was slowly into stride yet ends up being dominant, and that's the official line um, on the race reading. And he was Kate. Um, I thought, oof, that's him done. Uh, it, at the time when I was watching it on uh, on Sky Sports mm. Racing, but geez, he was really good. Yeah, I totally agree with what Ben was saying. There, it was it was such a likable but strange performance from you, all the same. Because I really, I mean, I wasn't enamoured by his win in the Great Voltager at all, and I thought there were notable disappointments in that race, which just left me a little deflated, really. And I thought, just well, that's that's probably a good excuse for your beer to go pot hunting now and go abroad. Because, yes, he's a Group 2 winner in this country now to go with his Group 3 winning the Bahrain Trophy. But that looked a very soft Group 2 to be winning at York. And that he'd struggled to win a Group 1 over a mile 4 in this country, especially with a talent in the three-year-old middle-distance division already. And, you know, and that's only from his own stable, so let alone out, outside rivals as well. So when he was cited at the Jockey Club Derby, that just looked a great race for him and a huge price to land as well. And he's a funny horse, this lad, because he clearly has his quirks, certainly. And he has to be held up because he's such a handful and so keen. Hence why the hood was reinstated at York. But here he broke slowly. I thought it was by design. 
But then he was too relaxed and too settled. And Jamie Spencer had his hands full just keeping him laid up, as Ben said. So I wondered if the hood would come off again next time out. But as soon as they turn into home straight, the way he picked up around the outside was just class. And he looked much improved and more straightforward horse as well, who looks to be getting better and better with his racing. So he has no entries, but I'd say they'll go more pot hunting internationally, will be on the agenda. He's out in the Breeders' Cup. This was a win and you're in, I think. Um, thanks to that win. So he'll likely go there, you would have thought. And um, and who's to underestimate the powers of Charlie Appleby of a horse like this? Yeah, you'd wonder, do they, well, you know, the win and you're in thing, which is patented by, uh, that, that that is owned by the Breeders' Cup. Nobody else can use that. Genius. Breeders' Cup are bloody geniuses. Um, so uh, why not? I mean, you may as well take the chance. And the Breeders' Cup turf doesn't, be snobbish when it comes to geldings. Um, mm. They very much allow them run. I mean, the entire classics, the the entire American Triple Crown isn't snobbish towards geldings. They're all allowed to run. Um, hence why we had Funnyside winning the Kentucky Derby back in the day. And when he was going for the Triple Crown in New York, there were taxis that said East Side, West Side, we're all going for Funnyside. Um, only for him to be well beaten by Empire Maker, who was then unceremoniously booed by the New York crowd. Boo! Uh, only one of the... Only the Kentucky Derby favoured, who then comes out and wins for one of the greatest trainers of all time, Bobby Frankel. Uh, God rest him. Um, in behind is a, a very disappointing, and not for the first time, Bolshoi Ballet. So there was there was a flirtation with taking him to Paris Longchamp. Instead, they decided to take up this engagement Um not least because they'd been invited, but also he had been successful in America as well. Uh, but he'd also met defeat, Kate. He'd been beaten in Saratoga mm. by state of rest by four lengths, and now he's beaten five and a half lengths by Yabir. And I don't have too many excuses for him, do you? No, I mean, didn't he miss his French engagement because of, like, I, I was a bit confused about this entire story, really. I meant to go into it further, about the, the vaccine was up to date, but wasn't up to date, and so he couldn't run. I can't remember exactly what it was now, but there was something about three or four days which messed it up, basically. So he ended up coming here instead. Um, and yeah, and again, he has been disappointed with no notable excuses throughout the race, similar to the Saratoga Derby as well prior to that, where he just sort of plugged on again. And he just, I don't know, he's a very strange horse to weigh up, really, because his win in the Derrinstown was just, a Derrinstown stud Derby trial stakes, to give it its official title, but Lepistown was so impressive, and to go over his Ballysack stakes win as well. And then ever since then, in the Derby, I mean, he just didn't look right, I think. Did he lose some shoes or something? Nice something had gone wrong in that. Anyway, yeah. And um, then to come back, win at Belmont, he just thought, right, perfect, he's back on track here. But now that's two disappointing runs in a row, and whether or not he was just messed up because I don't I just still don't actually know if he actually went over to France I think he did and then to have to travel again in a short enough space of time back to America maybe that's taken the toll but he's been over there before and there was no notable reason as to why he disappointed there at the weekend yeah Ben for you no I agree I agree on that point that I think to win races like this you've got to have horses at such a peak and and Aiden's obviously Mm -hmm. so brilliant at doing that for the whole year but to go to France on one weekend get told oh no you can't because of as you say a a two-day discrepancy where Mm -hmm. where I think England Ireland and America 
a bit more lenient than the French are, which is often the often the way, I think. Yes. She's <laughs> eating saying any, anything else. Um, <laughs> and then to to stick him on a plane, get him out to America, do you quarantine your two days, three days, whatever, whatever it is. I think that's a lot for a horse to take. I'd be more worried on on his disappointing start the last day where there really was no no excuses for that yeah. behind behind Joseph's state of rest. Mm. I think he's a horse that is possibly just going to slip away quietly. Mm. As in he will be retired to stud and there's to be nothing else heard of it, as opposed to uh, a, a mob boss saying, make him slip away quietly. Because that could be interpreted very differently, Ben. Uh, I I was more sl- thinking that he's possibly going to slip down south and appear for for a Mr. Ma Eustace Waterhouse in a, yeah. in a cops plate or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, as they've, opposed, they've they've been as opposed to the vets bucket. They, they've been drawn. <laughs> they've been. Drawn, <laughs> they've been drawn up plans, and um, we've already had battleground sold to stand as a stallion in Turkey. I assume that Coolmore have retained some sort of either buyback clause or percentage that they can take him back if it turns out that he's uh, an absolute monster of a stallion. Um, although what caliber of mare he'll be getting in Turkey. Sorry, 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 sorry if I've offended anyone. Jesus Christ, you can't say anything on the internet these days. Oh my goodness. But um, he's gone. He's uh, he's been sent out there, so you have to wonder what what's, what's going to happen to Wembley then. Um, and uh, there's a number of valuable old horses are being sold, but they've also set out their plans for Australia, and that's the plan with Mother Earth. She goes down there, and um, she'll be campaigned at the Spring Carnival. Yet Aiden won't have any runners in the Melbourne Cup because he's not happy about this whole MRI. Um, system which has been put in place which we talked about last week and uh, I get it I completely understand it but it's Aiden and the Melbourne Cup have almost become synonymous he hasn't won it but he's gone damn close he's gone real close to winning it and yet he's not going to be represented this year and Charlie Appleby has said the same 2018 winner nope we're not going mm. so it remains to be seen what they do with Bolshoi Ballet um we know what they're doing at Santa Barbara. She's coming back to Keeneland, where she'll run in the QE2, which wasn't called months ago when she first won out in America by Peter Fornital. He immediately said, I wonder, will she come back for the QE2 uh, at Keeneland? And that's exactly what they're going to do with her. And her ultimate plan is the Breeders' Cup. Um, and for US racing fans, and we have... Our third biggest audience is North America, as in the United States of America. I should clarify that. Um, fourth is Australia. Fifth is Canada. And um, all of you American fans who are going, Hey, man, the hell are you talking about? Chad Brown won the, the Jockey Club Oaks Invitational. How you take that back? French came over. Charlie Appleby came over. They all got beat. I'm sorry. There are some good American turf, turf horses, but there are also, you know, you got to admit, we come over there a lot, and um, you've got more runners than us, and we beat you on a more frequent basis. So I think that's, I think that's fair. I think that's a, a pretty... I, yeah. On a side note, I think most of their turf horses are sourced in this country anyway. Yeah. 
um, out of Tassel's book one and and two. So I, th- I think they're they're sort of falling falling on their own sword by by going on that. that Drop Mike. <laughs> Damn. His first appearance. I don't think I'll be having any American owners sort of ringing me up this week. <laughs> hey, this Americans appreciate honesty. The Americans appreciate honesty, so uh, don't be surprised if the if the phone is ringing and it's either one uh, an American owner who's saying, "Hey, I, I liked you on that pod. You know, I want to put a horse in training with you," or it's a mob boss going, "We coming for you." Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll, I end up with Bolshoi Ballet's head at the end of my bed. <laughs> Certainly not that I should be saying anything, anything like that. <laughs> Waking up and there's just your staff wondering why? Why is Ben screaming? Why? With, his, with, his, with his cheek pieces fully intact, and I'm like, oh, I, knew it. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Not, a, not an inch of blood in the cheek pieces. Oh man. Um, <laughs> John Magnus coming for you now. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> hey, if you can't laugh, what can you do in this world? Which has been absolute madness. It's yeah, um, fantastic. Uh, speaking of Bally Doyle, back to form. Their two-year-olds are very much back to form. So Point Lonsdale's done for the season. So you can take him out of your betting, folks. Um, I see you. I see you having him having him in your uh, betting. He's been in way too many bookmakers betting uh, for various different races, uh, specifically the Jewhurst. It's becoming to really annoy me. But uh, history kicked this off. Um, who's by Galileo, the late great Galileo, and uh, looks like a, a horse of of a lot of potential. Um, of course, cost. 2.8 million guineas as a yearling, Kate. But can't we can't geld her. Can't, we can't geld her. We can't geld, can't her. geld this one. Uh, so she's going to be an absolute superstar. Uh, and then we got Churchill, um, siring a uh, scriptwriter who cost £220,000 as a yearling. So. Geld him. Nah, it's not quite enough. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, hold up. Uh, and beats a Niarcos horse. So obviously a race that I was a huge, huge fan of. Uh, both of these horses were, I thought, uh, very impressive in their own way. Um, Kate, you can lead off with uh, history. She looks very much set for the mile. Um, is she a horse who could be a Phillies mile contender? Oh, definitely so. Yeah, this was really good. Um, I mean, to see for, for Bally Doyle here in general, because, I mean, it's been no secret, they've been having a really rough time of things with them only having the one winner from 40 runners at one stage mm. with that sole winner being St. Mark's Basilica. And then with Snowfall disappointing last weekend, Borsho Ballet having that vaccine mix up, then disappointing, general form not being there. They have needed to get some winners. And it's been good to see that those winners have come with their two-year-olds as well on Saturday which is not a usual association in general with the yard, as we know. But history, I really, really liked. This was her third start for this daughter at Galileo. She was entitled to do what she did on Saturday, because as she said, she cost 2,600,000 guineas as a yearling and improved from her current debut effort, finished second behind subsequent listed winner Panama Red at Tipperary. And she's improved again here, I think, after tracking the pace before leading a furlong out, running on well over the mile trip, which saw her to better effect understandably as well so she certainly wants to keep an eye on if they do run her again she's in the Phillies mile so the ground shouldn't inconvenience her on what we've seen so far if it is softer and she just looks hugely exciting so yeah no I, I really liked history uh, what about you Ben 
no, I thought she was really impressive. I thought um, with connections, price tag, sire, everything, everything's right and leads to to a Phillies mile and possibly a ca- classic campaign next year. I thought she, mm. she, while she was maybe a little bit keen early on, she was still so strong to the line and she looked like a, a Philly that hopefully get 10 next year, whether she being out of a showcasing mare, whether she's going to be an Oaks filly or, or more a pre-Diane filly, I don't know, but that's, that's the fun of this time of year, making, mm. making predictions like that. Mm. Um, I suspect she'll take a new mark at first, but yeah, you're right. Uh, whatever it is they decide to do then afterwards. Uh, what about scriptwriter Ben? Again, really impressed with him. Um, he did everything wrong. He rolled around left, right and centre. The shame he did well just to grab a hold of him and send him for the line. And, and there looks like plenty of improvement there. Um, as you say, 220,000 guineas, a lot of money, but not quite as much as Rither Thames, who was the um, another Churchill winner for Aidan O'Brien. Yeah, what is that, that? The commentator pronounced totally weird. Yeah, what the hell was I that? I wasn't going to bring that up, but um, he seemed to <laughs> change change his idea sort of three or four times and yeah, he did, and maybe a, a little side <laughs> note needs to be put in there just for those who missed yeah. it can you give Someone examples take him to london can you give examples kate it was like what was it at one point it was there, was a, there was, was a river Thames. Thames. there was a Thames. there was a, there, yeah. was a <laughs> there was a bit of everything Thames. Thames. He, he got there he got there but seemed to change his mind right at the very end and went back to back to the wrong pronunciation <laughs> but i mean the horse has only had the horse has only had a few starts, so he's got plenty of time to practice before, before <laughs> a tilt at bigger things. I'm sure. Yeah, and then you can get it right on that point. I mean, like as you're going I down to London, as like. you're going down through the list of horses in that race, like Zura, Zura. Okay, world famous. That's fine. Tanala, uh, Tugaranade, Turgarnade. Uh, River Thames, great. Oh, that's perfect. That's we've got that. River Thames, River th- Thames, River Thames, um, <laughs> River Thames, <laughs> River Thames. What the hell? Like, what? what? <laughs> Yash, Yashi, Chitsupa. There were so many horses in that race that were like could could trip you up. River um, Thames no is not going to trip you up. No, River <laughs> Thames, River. Thames, River Thames, River Thames, River... What the <laughs> fucking hell is going on? Uh, I really oh, liked him, wonderful. just as we go off on a side note. I, I loved him. Um, 320,000 guineas year, yearling. And uh, this was sort of the, the kickstarting of the, the Bally Doyle revival. So he beats Changing of the Guard. Uh, Leinster House, I thought, was really good as well. And um, he's bred to the same family as U.S. Navy flag, and um, his uh, his direct relation is Monday, but the the dam is um, a sister to Misty for me, who obviously produced U.S. Navy flag and Roly Poly, and uh, a listed winner, Twirl, um, who there might be more to come from, you never know. Um, uh, we got New York City finishing second. United Nations, I thought, was uh, tremendous. HMS Endeavor, who was not sold, but is the only or the first offspring of Lady Eli and is by Warfront. Uh, so whether or not this horse trains on or not, I don't know. But um, I, I like the battling quality that the horse is showing so far. Um, loved history, loved scriptwriter. I think they're both of classic potential. And I'm very intrigued just to see where they go this year. And I thought that the quote from Aidan O'Brien 
Um, a while, by the way, has come out and won today as well, as we're recording on, on Monday, um, winning by one and a quarter lengths, winning quite impressively. And he's uh, she is a war front, as I misgender her, out of Wonder of Wonders. So a King Mambo mare. It's beautifully bred as well. So the, the Ballydoyle two-year-olds, they're firing on all cylinders. And mm. um, it looks as though there's a lot of excitement to come through there. And I thought that that was one of the interesting things said by Aidan O'Brien when Point Lonsdale was put away for the season, was we have we have more to come. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more horses to come. And I don't think that they're overly concerned. I don't think he's overly concerned about the the Dewhurst or who he's going to have for the Virgin Fortuity. I think they'll be very, very well represented. And I don't think that being beaten by Native Trail precludes... Point Lonsdale from being a big player next season, but there could be horses that are going to be just better than him. That it's taken mm. a while to get to the track, and we've seen this before. Kate with Galileo won a back end maiden, and look what he went on to do. So um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm keeping a very close eye on all of these maiden races because I, I think that there's going to be some very very talented um, Ballydoyle horses to emerge, and I would not be in the least bit surprised if we have uh, some classic winners to come, or if we've just mentioned potential classic winners in history and scriptwriter and and um, some of the others, uh, River Thames as well, for that matter. You know, just on um, on scriptwriters, something I looked into, which has been sort of a trend I've been following all this season. So he's a son of Churchill, obviously, but as I say, this is something that I, I have been looking into with Churchill's progeny from his first crop this season. They mm-hmm. significantly improved from their debut start to their second, just as Churchill did himself, because so far he's had four first time out winners from his 55 runners. But most of his winning progeny have won on their second starts, which just goes to show the progression they show from first second start with 11 of those winning their second starts out of the 55, not counting the winners on their debut there or just winners. These are literally just winners of their second starts. So that seemed to really come to the fore for scriptwriter as well, who clearly come on for his debut start. So rather than four first time out winners from 55, 11 from 55 for second time out winners. So just a trend to keep an eye on if you want to um, side of the horse, potentially at a bit more value to uh, to improve from his debut start than a Churchill is one that, uh, that, that looks promising to side with. That's like the new bay stat, the new bay. Yeah, yeah, it was new bay last year. Yeah, yeah, wasn't it that on their third start there were almost some peaceable his progeny? Yeah, um, and then Golden Horn three year olds. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So it's just every now and again there's a there's a stat like that that pops up, but I I quite like that. Mm-hmm. So Churchill horses beaten on their debut, you can expect uh, significant improvement on on their second yeah. start. Um, Shadwell. Have uh, have announced. Well, well, we'll deal with Davy Russell first of all. Actually, uh, just the three hundred and forty-three days since his last winner, and uh, coasts home on Chemical Energy in the two-mile four-furlong maiden hurdle, which was the second of three winners on the day for Gordon Elliott. I, I didn't have the opportunity to ask you about Gordon's return, Kate, because uh, you weren't available. Mm. But now, now that you're back, um, there hasn't been any red carpets laid out for him. Um, and uh, there was a very interesting reaction to his return uh, to to the interview that he did in the trade paper with Richie Forrestal. Um, what have you made of his comeback and what he's had to say in the various interviews that he's done with the the Racing Post and with Racing TV? Yeah, the main one that I've seen is the Racing TV interview, and I thought that he did come across as 
very sincere in that. I think he knows he's made an absolute balls up of everything, not just for himself, but for his all of his staff, who are the people who this whole entire time I felt the most sorry for yeah. because people can say what they want. They don't know, you know, the staff as well as uh, a lot of other people. And I know like to Camilla Sharples, his traveling head girl, Katie Young, how hard they work, how much they love their horses. I mean, just look what Camilla's been able to do with Cruise Linen yeah, um, in the point to point sphere and such like. So, you know, th- that doesn't just come, you don't tarnish everyone with the same brush from the yard. But what Gordon Elliott did was horrendous, awful, unforgivable, completely. It was, I hope, just a, a one-off mo- lapse of judgment where he just, you know, did something so stupid. I thought that the attack on him through social media and then with um, Rob James being involved, obviously, as well, I thought that was with malicious intent. We still don't know, sort of, you know, investigations are still going on as to where this all came from and why and the reasons behind it. Obviously, those in the know, will be in the know and they probably know exactly why um these things have come out at exactly this time before Cheltenham and um and everything that then came with it but whether or not you think that Gordon Elliott should have got a longer ban or you think he's got off lightly whichever there is no denying he is a fantastic trainer he's you know he he is a self-made man he's come from very little and he is incredible at training winners and training horses and his record speaks for itself. The horses that you see at the track, they're beautifully turned out. You know, when just before Gordon came back to take over the license, the Denise Foster yards, caretaker Denise Foster, were, their form was horrendous. So obviously, funnily enough, as soon as Gordon's name was back on the license, the big guns start coming out and the horses really start improving. So that was, you know, that was, you, you could you could script that quite comfortably that that was going to be the case and that's how it's transpired. But it's it's difficult to weigh up because obviously in this country, I think as a general opinion, we have a very different way of viewing horses rather than an island sort of more of a practical um, assessment of horses. for, And so I think that he will be received differently in each country. And I and I don't think he should be let off like that. I don't think it should just be completely brushed under the carpet. But at the same time, I do think he has served his time. I do think he is sincere. I hope for the staff's sake that they have some nice horses coming through that they can, you know, after sticking by Gordon through all of this, and they really have done as well, then I hope that they, you know, have something good come the staff's way, at least anyway. And and to have the the horses and the firepower that he has this season. I mean, from a racing fan perspective, I want to see the horses. That's all I care about. Mm. I care about good performances. I care about the horses. And for all his act was unforgivable. That's all I'm sort of caring about now. I'm just looking forwards and hoping he can make amends because he's going to have to to the entire in- industry because he's let everyone down. So that's what I'm really hoping for going forwards. And that's that's all I can think about now is, is just looking ahead and, and looking to the positives now that we've got to look forward to. Yeah, he's, he's back now and that's that. And um, there is also the points in, in all of this that whatever your opinion of him is, we just sort of have to deal with it. And mm. I, I am intrigued as to how he is going to be received in, in the UK. And there's almost a part of me that feels as though probably shouldn't go to Cheltenham for the open meeting. 
um, or, or just before that, that, you know, if he's going to have runners, that maybe he should just send a representative. But then again, I don't think that's in his character. I don't think it's in his nature. I think he just wants to get this all over and done with now. But people have long memories, and particularly in the social media era. You know, this, this stuff doesn't go away. So, like, like, one of my points was, if you tweet out, oh, well done, Gordon, they're going to come for you. They they're gonna come for you, and they're gonna they're gonna lynch you off Twitter. They are going to destroy you. Um, you know you can't be giving praise to this guy at all, and uh, and he does have to prove that he is fully back and that he he means every single word of everything he's saying, because it was a twelve month ban that was for some reason reduced to six. So look, he's back. Um, We'll see how things go, but this initial conversation was about Davy. I just wanted to find out what, what you were mm. saying there. Uh, Davy Russell's form since he returned on the seventeenth of September, which is only a few days ago. Second, second, first, first, and today first, uh, as he won mm. on uh, Party Central. How did we all miss Coach Carter? By the way, fourteen to <laughs> one at Listol. What were we all thinking? Getting started. Oh, what were we thinking? Well, seated. <laughs> oh dear oh no um in the it was such a weird race it's so weird <laughs> but coach card just bolted up uh yeah charles burns wouldn't be one for controversy at all uh welcome back charles uh on unseated rider uh grange walk pulled up um slidge delia for joseph o'brien was was nowhere and um gordon elliott's other runner in the race who was more fancied uh grievy uh, didn't quite perform. <laughs> as, uh, I'm just, I'm just stealing that. Uh, so Coach Carter ends up <laughs> bolting up under under the first time hood. Um, what do you make of of Davy's return, uh, Ben? Because he's not getting any younger, and under medical advisement, he was told, "Don't, just, just don't." Um, because when I spoke to him on the show, he was so so keen on being fit for Cheltenham and so keen on being back for it and um, was also looking forward to Fairy House and, and to Punchestown. And I was actually surprised that he missed it and to the point that I was wondering, Jesus, is he ever going to race again? And uh, and here he is. But it, it is, uh, it does, it does appear as though he's going to be more focused on teaming up with the aforementioned Gordon Elliott. And also that he's going to be very picky about the horses he rides. I th- I think it's uh, it's near superhuman to to come back from from an injury like that at, at his age and considering all that he's done, he's he's probably not got a huge amount left that he can sort of add to his CV because it's so packed already. I think to to come back shows a real want and desire. Uh, and I've sort of heard him interviewed and contrary to your belief, sort of think that. He will ride every day, everywhere, everything possible. I think he's he's he doesn't want to do it by halves. He doesn't want to dip his toe back in. He wants to jump in full throttle. So so uh, unreal, unreal is the is the only word that can really describe him. And tomorrow he rides the best horse in training, the boss's Oscar in a beginner's shape. You laugh now, but when he wins, the, when he wins, that cliff is still. What are you talking about? From you on it. What are you talking about? He was placed at the Cheltenham Festival. Yeah, placed being the operative word for this How horse in general. dare you? 
How dare you? Uh, no, I love this horse. Uh, there's a, there's a few. I know you do. There's a few seconds beside his name. There's a few seconds, but um, he's placed at two consecutive Cheltenham festivals now. And, and you uh, backed him on both occasions. Of course, I did. And uh, <laughs> wasn't much good to me when it was a win, lucky sixty-three at, at, at ah. Cheltenham. The second go. time around, but it was an each way lucky sixty three at Cheltenham the the year before, and uh, that one was very beneficial to me. Um, and I do remember backing him at Thurless, but I also do remember doing my absolute stones on him in um, <laughs> at Christmas <laughs> at, <laughs> at Leopardstown uh, when he was written by Brian Cooper, and it wasn't Cooper's fault at all, uh, by the way. But he's a no, I love this horse, and I think he'll be a great chaser. I think he'll be, I think he could be an horse winner. I genuinely do. I'm not by any means trying to say it for a reaction or um, provoke a reaction or just to, I, I genuinely think he's a horse who could be uh, a serious, serious player. Um, in terms of some other content to, to talk about before we leave, uh, we briefly mentioned uh, Shadwell. I kind of want to hold on to that for a second because Roger Charlton, uh, this was being talked about on, on Racing TV where he did the interview. Uh, I don't understand where this uh, Stewards Inquiry at Newbury came from either, which is the one that he was referring to. Uh, he's been highlighting some inconsistencies in stewarding. There's been horses, uh, races overturned. Uh, there have been Stewards Inquiries that have been called that seemingly don't have an enormous amount of logic to them. Um and this this is something that, Ben, you would be informed as a trainer. You would be informed if the BHA have made a rule change, as would we in the media. But you would get first dibs on, on that info. Well, you'd certainly hope so. But as far as I can tell, and, and the word on the street is that, that nothing's changed, that no one's heard anything different. But, but in the last uh, month, six weeks, the, the racing tells a different story, really. Yeah. Um, Going back to, I completely agree with you on Saturday, as a, as a former employee of Mr. Charlton, I can't, I mean, as ever, he spoke absolutely brilliantly, but it was clear how dumbfounded he was that there was even an inquiry called and then for them to spend 15 minutes to deliberate on, on what was quite clearly a, a horse that possibly wandered off the true line but caused interference to the other, not at all. Um it's it's a really strange that's a really strange instant as is the few that have gone before it um i think we really need some clarity and are we then gonna all of a sudden in six weeks time we're going to be talking about horses that should have been thrown out that aren't i mean we really just don't know yeah kate what's your take on it yeah, it is. It's just the inconsistency, isn't it? Because obviously Roger Charlton trained one of those horses who was overturned at Foss last there when they had the two was it back-to-back races that were um uh that the stewards got involved in and overturned the results in uh in photo finishes there. And he they, was understanding. They weren't back to back, but there were three stewards inquiries on the day. Because I remember covering three this. stewards inquiries, two and, turned over, was it? Yeah. So, so they they turned one over that we were covering on Talksport and then they covered they they turned one over later on as well, but there were two. There were three stewards' inquiries to my memory on that the day. Was, yeah, and then there was one the day before, I think, at Goodwood as well, where that's right. um, It was overturned as well, so it, it, they went through a whole succession. I remember thinking at the time, sort of sitting up and being like, "Ooh, 
this has changed. Okay. Uh, didn't know that. Didn't expect this to happen, but apparently stewarding has, they, they're really hammering it down now and they're really trying to set a precedent here to, um, to make it known to everyone else that they mean business and they will reverse if there's any sort of interference. And, but then it sort of, then went back to normal for a while. Uh, and then obviously this at the weekend. So yeah, it's, it is, it's just, it's the confusion about where everyone stands and, it was in, I was interested to hear what Ben had to say then see if anything had been over, anything had been made known to trainers as to of new rulings or enforcements or you know even even just a um, a note put out there um, by the trainers federation to say look right the stewards are really going to um, come down on this so or or to the jockeys and other jockeys I don't think they've had anything either so yeah it's all just sort of been a bit of a mystery but I think at Goodwood that day. When it was overturned, I think it was actually the head of steward, the chief steward himself was there. So it wasn't as though it was sort of, you know, passed down um, the rankings as such to to uh, stewards just on the day. It, it was the main guy himself who had overturned it. So that's when I sort of thought, OK, right, he's trying to set the precedent here himself. But yeah, it is. It's just the inconsistency that's so frustrating. And I can completely understand trainers, owners, jockeys grievances behind that as well of just not exactly knowing where they stand and what they're going to get away with or what they're going to be penalized for and punished for yeah it's I think just to just to jump in another brilliant point that mr charlton made in his interview i mean at what point do you lose the punter confidence i mean mm. they uphold the sport i mean that's the main finances of the sport really in in terms yeah. of prize money um when do you lose their confidence when they back what they perceive to be a winner only for 15 minutes to be told that didn't win you're not getting any money and they're stuck there watching the replay not able to work out themselves um i think punter confidence is a massive massive um, point to make in this this whole debate i mean if jockeys trainers and whoever else get get told i mean the punter has to be told as well because it's it's Mm -hmm. their money that are, are going on to horses and and funding part of the industry, a large part of the industry. Well, if it turns out that the the BHA have been doing like a beta phase, and then they announce, yeah, so we've decided we're going to introduce this change. You can't do that. Mm. Because everyone is playing from the same rule book, and everyone's reading from the same rule book. So if you're sending jockeys out, and trainers are giving instructions, and uh, and a, a jockey, most importantly, because they're the ones who are, who are being hit with this. Obviously, everybody gets affected, but if a jockey is is playing to a certain rule book, they know that they have to change their... Like, Jamie Spencer knew knows that when he went to America, if anything went wrong, he was going to have to change how he would ride compared to how he would ride in the UK. The French changed their system to come more in line with the British one. So what's now happening in Britain that all of a sudden the BHA or the stewards themselves have decided we're going to look at these rules and we're going to interpret them differently? You can't do Mm. that. The rules are set in stone. And if you are going to change them, you announce it. And if it's a rogue group of stewards who have decided, well, we think it should be done this way, then the BHA need to step in and go, you're out. You know, you're in the icebox for a while and we're putting somebody else in. Um, And it almost makes me, again, highlight, why do we not just have a centralized stewarding system? 
why do we need stewards on race courses at every mm-hmm. given the amount of racing and there's going to be just what everyone needs ben more racing next year because that's what's really needed is more racing that's what we're lacking with that's what the, we're the yeah. sport we're everyone's in racing. agreement everyone's in agreement the sport lacks more racing and for those of you who are already sending an abusive tweet, I'm being sarcastic. Jesus. Um, but if th- this is further proof to me that we need a, a more centralized stewarding system and there is no need. Like you look at uh, VAR and VAR had a dodgy start, but now it's it's pretty much it's set. You know, they, they pretty much they're not going to get it right every time, but they're pretty much nailed on. VAR is not at every game. They're in London. If a game is taking place at Anfield, they're in London watching it. And you can have stewards who do shifts. You have stewards mm-hmm. who do uh, who do uh, Foslas, Wolverhampton, uh, Leicester, and then the stewards who come in and do the evening shift. And I'm not saying that you can have stewards that are dedicated to Newbury, Leicester, Foslas and stewards who are dedicated to Kempton and Wolverhampton in the evening. Done. All sorted. Because as as has been said on the show before, what's the need to talk to the jockey? What is the jockey going to tell you other than persuade you, oh, no, ma'am, or no, sir, I didn't mean that. I meant that you can see it. You can see it. And if you need to speak to him or her, great news. We've got this thing called mobile phones. They're amazing. You can contact anybody on them. Um, so I, I don't understand why we don't just do that instead. And you look at the, the camera angles that Racing TV offer you. I mean, look at just look at Racing TV Extra. Look at all the different angles that you can use. Look at all the angles the stewards have, the spot cam, everything. The front on, the um, view from behind, the head-on camera, the overhead camera. Uh there's no need for race day stewards on track. And there's no need for jockeys being brought in and trainers being brought in that can all be done over the phone. If COVID taught, thought us anything, it's that the old world of where you have to go into your office and you got to sit in your cubicle. And I know, we all, I know you love doing that. Guess what? You don't need to. You can work from home perfectly fine, um, which is what the three of us are doing right now. Uh, finally, Shadwell. Mm. Shadwell are, are not just going to reduce, they're going to significantly reduce the amount of horses that they have in training. Uh, the thing that really worries me about this, Ben, it's not just the fact that they're going to reduce the horses in, in training, and we should, we should talk about that, but two-year-olds that were going to be in Shadwell trainers' care next year are going to be sold. Yearlings are going to be sold. And they're going to cut back on on the bloodstock side of things as well. So they're only going to really hold on to the sires and uh, and the mayors who are who are generating a profit for them. Now, for those who are who are asking the question, well, why are they doing this yet? Um, Judmont are not. It's because Judmont have stallions that generate more fees. It's the same for Coolmore. Coolmore are able to operate in the way that they do and buy the horses that they do because they've got the stallions that they have 
in Ireland, America, and Australia that generates so much money for them that they can go out there and spend $2.8 million on a complete punt on buying a yearling. Uh, Shadwell can't do that. And they can have the amount of horses that they have in training. And then they have a system where they then sell those horses on if it's not working. Um, and uh, you kind of have to admire Judmont that they've been as successful as they have because they're able to, to do what they're doing. But for Shadwell, for those blue and white colors to be not seen on the race course in the large numbers that we've seen, Ben, is quite a frightening prospect because it's it's very frightening for the people who work for Shadwell. And, and in that instance, I'm talking about the jockeys, um, obviously Jim Crowley, but particularly Dane O'Neill. Um, I mean, Jim, I, I assume, is still going to be the retained jockey, but does do you need a second jockey if you're not going to have as many horses in training? And the fact that the two-year-olds that are coming through, no, they're going to sell them, a, a lot of them, and the yearlings are going to sale as well. That That's all very worrying. It is most definitely, and I, I mean, I think I think we all probably saw some sort of announcement like this coming. But I was really shocked. I mean, they sold a lot of horses in July, and they've been slowly winding down operations, or sorry, cutting down operations in Australia and South Africa very quickly, and winding down in this country. Yes, but the mention of cutting back yearlings certainly caught me by surprise. I thought it would be a three-year reduction on the fold crop and and we might see a stallion wander and yet a big dispersal at the at the mare sale. But to yeah, to come out and say that we're gonna sell yearlings that we've that we've spent so long doing pedigrees and research and doing our matings and and matings that, that Sheikh Hamdan himself would have passed off on and and mm. and been involved with to then just say no we're selling them that that really surprised me and and it is worrying for i mean this is this is an owner with a, a retained trainer many other trainers beside two jockeys uh, studs in england and ireland still america it's it's worrying times for sure maybe do you look the little chink of light being this is an opportunity for for other operations other new bits of money that are coming into the sport to to bolster their ranks with with broodmares and a stallion or or something like that, but but definitely worrying for the people involved. As you say, I'm sure there'll always there'll be a job for Jim Crowley, Dane O'Neill. I don't know. Is he helped out by the fact that jockeys can only ride at one meeting this year? But, but even then, they they were separated by distance more than the meetings. So yeah, does does Dane still have a job? I don't know. Mm. And a brilliant jockey and has been for a very long time. I'm sure he'll pick up rides, but it's it's worrying for sure. Yeah, it's just that dramatic change. And it could very well be that they do because of the fact that that rule is staying in place. And I think it's a good thing that um, jockeys are restricted to one meeting. Definitely. Uh, I think it, it's, it's mm -hmm. good for their mental health. I think it's good for their... Are we all in agreement on that? It's good for their... Yeah, 100%. yeah. It's, it's good yeah. for the sport. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So, so Dane may very well be required then. It's just a matter of how many horses they are going to have in, in training. And it's it's strange, Kate, because uh, Sheikha Hissa uh, bint Hamdan al-Maktoum, um, as she 
took on the more prominent role. She came over to the UK and she met every, each and every person, essentially, who's involved with Shadwell. That's obviously an exaggeration, but she met the, the primary people who were involved. And I, I don't think she really wanted to do this unless the finances just don't add up. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that's just the, it's, it's a loss-making enterprise. And, uh, and a significant loss-making enterprise. And there will be people who argue, but, but don't, aren't they loaded anyway? You know, they're not stuck for buying a Lambo, surely? Like, they can get a new Lambo anyway? That's not really the point. The, the point is that one of the things I was, I was told when I was um, getting involved in racing uh, as, as a young lad, how do you make a small fortune out of racing? Start with a big one. And may- yeah. maybe it's just that they want to be a little bit more conservative and, you know, completely winding down South Africa and winding down Aust- Australia is uh, is one thing. But when you're coming to France, Ireland and the United Kingdom, you know, the three main territories, and you're significantly winding down there, that's worrying. Mm. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? As, as you've both been saying, there's certainly a feeling this may happen following Hamdan Amakchu's death in March, but the hope was that this operation would continue to function as it had before, but under his daughter, Sheikha Hissa bin Hamdan Amakchu. However, it probably didn't come as a surprise to anyone. See, there is going to be a restructuring of the operation. As, as we know, it is huge across many different countries and continents. So it makes sense to trim the operation down and to focus on the quality instead of quantity, which they have both of at the minute. But with Sheikh Hamdan's family wanting to retain a significant number of the homebred foals, and they then they said that they can they intend to continue their global stallion operations, but yeah, no reference to the yearling buys. And there are plenty of factors at play here, as Shadwell does operate three stallion farms, as we know, uh, one in Britain, one in Ireland, and one in America. And also Owen Burroughs Yard in Lambourne, Kingswood Stables. Um, he's employed as a private trainer there. And of course, all the staff that goes with these operations. And as Ben said, with Jim Crowley and Dane O'Neill as well. So as they're retained jockeys. So this is going to be a big shakeup. But to what extent? I don't think we fully know yet. Because uh, I don't think plans have been finalised with exactly what is being sold. But it just reads as though it is a significant amount. But hopefully the stallion operations will remain, which shouldn't mean too much of a shakeup there at least. And they still, they've said that they still want to be buying or bringing through top class horses which is fantastic for the sport but the concern that that is a wonderful idea to keep reproducing the likes of Baid but to be able to do that you do have to have the quantity to find a diamond like that time and time again so it is going to um, be a big shake up and, and it just sort of feels like race is going through this transitional phase isn't it um, with Judmont as well and, and sort of the big operators who are big influences in the flat racing game and big spenders as well then that's going to be a huge shake up but as Ben said it could open up the opportunity then for more buyers to come into the sport and um, and it's going to spread itself more evenly throughout but at the same time they are pretty influential cruxes to the sport Shadwell as as with Judmont as well or as our Judmont as well so that is 
it is it's it's concerning for the sport that these super spenders might uh, well are starting to downscale and where that void is going to be filled mm. uh, and to give emphasis to the super spending uh, at the yearling sales at Tattersalls uh, in October book one and book two Shadwell spent 8.7 million on 46 yearlings mm. and um over half the spending was com- coming over book two. So they have 167 individual horses racing in the UK alone this year. Um, their stud farms are Derenstown Stud in Ireland, which there's no reason for that not to be safe. Nunnery Stud in the UK and um, the Shadwell Stud in the United States. Uh, you mentioned Baid has obviously been a superstar for them. They won the Kentucky Oaks mm-hmm. back in the spring. Um, I wonder how much of this is going to come down to to prize money, which would be a real shame because then the UK is kind of... Uh, whereas there is decent prize money still in Ireland and obviously a lot of uh, good prize money in in France as well. Um, but ultimately it's going to come down to them having stallions that people want and that people are prepared to, to spend a lot of money on um, so that it becomes a, a self-sustaining business, which then allows them to come back. Because while it's going to be restructured now, there's nothing to say that Bailly doesn't become mm. a superstar stallion and then all of a sudden, we're back, baby, and they're spending loads of money at the sales again. But I, I think that the October sales are going to be fascinating because I don't think you'll see a cent spent by them. And the reason I think you won't see a cent spent by them is because... Why are you selling all those horses you bought last year? If you're selling two-year-olds and you're selling yearlings, you're selling the horses you bought last year. So mm. that's that's worrying. So we are going to see less of the blue and white on British and Irish tracks and in French tracks as well. Um, and uh, we're just going to have to wait and see how the whole thing plays out. But it's, it's desperately depressing. And... Um, it's a real fright for those who are who are working for those organizations because they, of course, will have felt for so long that it was um, incredibly safe. But we'll, the only thing we can do is 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 wait and see. But it, it's for for the eight point seven million that was spent, there were underbidders. That's the one thing that we can take out of this as a positive mm. is that there were underbidders to each of those horses, and so those owners will become involved. John Dance did a complete U-turn and decided to get back into it in a monstrous way and now has a massive training base and has you know, his own private trainer who's um, the former assistant trainer to Sir Michael Stout. Um, John's going to be back on to talk about that very soon in the build-up to the Virgin Futurity Trophy. Um, so... There's there are others. You know, there are other people who want to be involved in, in racing, but it also just goes to prove that we can't rest on our laurels. That we do need to be proactive and we do need to be active in encouraging people to become involved in the sport. Um this Saturday, uh something very important is taking place and uh it's all in memory of a long term friend of the show, uh, the late, great Pat Smullen. It seems uh, bizarre to say late. Um, 
but it's it's the one year anniversary last week of Pat Smullen's passing. Um, the nine times Irish champion jockey and his positivity and his strength and his his wise words on the three shows that he did on the final furlong really echoed to listeners, really resonated with listeners and meant so much to those who were either fighting that fight themselves or, like me, a family member who is trying to know the right things to say and and trying to be upbeat and uh, constantly supportive and, um, you know, always having the, the right attitude for a person that you love who is going through this horrific thing when you yourself feel incredibly drained. And um, that's not a selfish thing to say. That's how how family members and um, and people who are, you know, if you're a partner of someone who's going through this, that's that's how you feel. It it drains you. Uh, it's a horrific thing. And um, I have no idea how Pat fought the fight that he fought, and I have no idea how. Um, how my mother beat it. I wouldn't. I can tell you that right now. I don't have the strength to. But uh, Pat was was remarkable. And the time that he gave, not just on, on the final furlong, but he went on the Late Late Show, which is the world's longest-running chat show, and it's sort of an institution in Ireland. And he went on uh, racing TV, and he would the amount of fundraising that he did behind the scenes as well, uh, all to raise funds for Cancer Trials Ireland. And um, there's, a, there's a group in Cork called... Um, um, so I'm actually getting a bit emotional talking about this. Uh, Cork Cancer Care. And there's Americans coming to Cork for treatment. Because they're making such strides. Like such gigantic strides in this fight. Uh, Breakthrough Cancer Research. They're amazing people there. And and they do incredible stuff as well. But cancer trials uh, need funding. And so on Saturday, there is a charity cycle to raise funds. They are going to visit, during the cycle, seven race courses, two stud farms over seven hours, starting at Laytown Beach, which is just beautiful, by the way, uh, and finishing at the Curra, which, of course, was so beloved by Pat. Uh, along the way, they'll also visit Bellastown, Navan, Ferry House, Moigler Stud. I mean, how many times was he in the, the winning colours of Moigler and what supporters they've been since he passed away uh, and during his fight? Nace, Punchestown, and Giltown Stud as well. If you want to take part, or if you want to join in at the start, or join in along the way, uh, there's specific times for that they are going to be at each course. It's going to be a lot of fun, but it's in memory of nine times Irish champion jockey, Pat Smullen, um, who is just 
an absolute legend. There is a GoFundMe page, Coast to Curra, and that's what it's called, Coast to Curra. So um, you can find out more at uh, Horse Racing Ireland, hri.ie, and um, the GoFundMe page again is Coast to Curra, and uh, all for an incredibly, incredibly worthy cause. Um, any other highlights from the weekend that you would like to mention before we bounce? Uh, ben? Um, I, I think we've comprehensively gone through the weekend. The one thing I did want to, we sort of spoke about the Breeders' Cup a little bit. Um, Nazin, Nazin of, oh, yeah. um, of Archie Watson's, I thought, um, taking the group the Firth of Clyde. Um, I thought she was very strong to the line and I just wonder whether she could with Archie's um, sort of seeming endeavour to win at the Breeders' Cup, um, she could be a possibility for the juvenile Phillies turf, I thought. Um, I just thought she'd suit. She had plenty of gate speed, reined in, and then was strong and looked like she'd see the mile out well on, on a Delmar Del sort of sharp track. I like that. I like that quite a lot, actually. And um, I wonder if there are prices for the Breeders' Cup. Uh, juvenile turf. I'm gonna check that uh, while we get the the highlight or any other business from Kate Tracy. Um, in terms of, I mean, that's a really good one there with uh, Nazanin, and to look forward to. I mean, I, I was really taken by a horse called Mellow Yellow, but I fear we may not see her on a race course again because after she won the opening race on Newmarket's card in the one mile Phillies novice and really gutsy style, but she finished lame. She was dismounted and she suffered a fracture in that, unfortunately, which is a shame. Damn. But hopefully she will be okay and we might get to see her again, but it will be a while at least anyway. But just for the Queen, it's been fantastic for the Queen to have yet another winner on the flat and what's been her best flat season ever, I believe. And she has so many top quality horses in training at the minute, which should set up next season in what is the Queen's Platinum Jubilee year. So really excited about that. Um, I would have been interested in Turnpike Trip when he won the Cesarich trial, but he's not in the race itself. <laughs> uh, Koi Koi in the seven furlong novice at Newbury for Andrew Boulding. Typical Boulding style. This juvenile just improved with each of his three starts. So he's certainly a promising two-year-old that might just go under the radar somewhat. Um, so yeah, I thought Koi Koi was very impressive. And I also think my little tip hasn't done winning yet. And I think can bring up a four time next time out, depending on how the handicapper reacts to his hat trick that he managed to bring up at the weekend at Catterick. So that was really likable. And he's an upwardly mobile uh, horse, that lad. So, yeah, there's just a few names just to um, to stick into a notebook there. But as I say, Mella Yellow is the one who caught my eye. But unfortunately, she we may not see her for a while. No, which is which is a real shame. Um uh, for all of the reasons that, that you've highlighted, but um, uh, hopefully we'll be having a long and, and safe um, retirement. Uh, as for Nazanin, no. Uh, frustratingly enough, is not in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf betting. And you are right that this is, this is a... This is very much something that um, Archie wants to achieve... And what an amazing story it would be for Archie and for um, and for Holly to go over there and and uh, and win one of the big prizes on the night. But uh, right now she hasn't been added to the betting. But I, I do believe that it is something that they want to do, and she's by declaration of war. Um, not that she'd be racing on the dirt, but uh, unless they've changed their minds and they want to do that, do they? They hardly do. 
No. Uh, Holly Doyle, anyway, was effusive in her praise of the horse after the race. So I, I quite like that one. And uh, for, a, for a debut any other business, Nazanin at 16s uh, is one hell of a shout. Um, for me, just as a, I, I suppose, Solid Stone um, is deserving mm. of, of a mention. Uh, cracking ride from William Buick and um, to, to beat Fox's Tales, uh, who was ridden by Oshin Murphy. Um, and, uh, that, so, Trainers' Championship, not everybody cares about. Right, we can be honest about that. Uh, Andrew Balding still leads the way. I'd love to see Andrew win it. Um, that's nothing against Charlie. He's done it before. It would just be brilliant to see Charlie Appleby, um, uh, Andrew Balding, I should say, uh, come out on top. It's going to be hard, but not impossible for him to do so. The race to be champion jockey, like Buick got close there, and now the gap is 10, yet again. So Ushin Murphy is leading 135 to 125 with Tom Marquand, who Ushin actually expected to be a big danger and, and uh, very much in it. And he's been banging in the winners as well, but not to the rate that the boys have, 106. And uh, David Probert, pull up your socks on 79 winners for the season. For goodness sakes. <laughs> embarrassment. Um, a great season. Great season, seriously. Uh, so... Yeah, this fight between Oshin and, and um, William is turning out to be absolutely tremendous, and it it's probably going to go all the way to the wire, Kate. Yeah, oh, I think so. At least anyway, and and it has. It's just been it's been a cracking um, championship, hasn't it? And it it did need it really um, to have sort of a start to finish competition like it's got this season because. It was only towards the back end of last season that the Jockey Championship really started tossing up. And you just thought to yourself, well, if this incentive kicks off again, but at the start of next season, we're in for a treat. And that's what we've got. Then with sort of various bands um, for Sheen and William Bjork as well. And uh, obviously with William Bjork then riding abroad. And it's all paved the way into a cracking title race. But Sheen, I mean, he was 10 clear going into Leicester today following a win yesterday. Uh, from a good book of rides at Hamilton, and but only managed to extend his lead by one yesterday. And then I think they both got a winner each today, didn't they, at Leicester? Yeah. I believe. Yeah, so so again, it's back to 10 again. Um, and it was interesting with, as we mentioned earlier, William Buick electing to not go and ride either Yabir or Walton Street, but stay at home for the title makes his intentions known. Then it really does set it up beautifully for the rest of the season. So, yeah. It's a competition that people are interested in generally, but I think that this year it's um, it's taken on a life of its own and has actually been very exciting to to watch. Big time. And um, he was asked about that, William Buick. You know, your first jockey to Godolphin. Don't you have to go over to North America? And he was trying to work his way out of that going, uh, uh, well, no, uh, you know, we, we had a chat about it and um, uh, we, we decided that I could stay here. Um, I think he did have a, a ride in fairness, for, for Godolphin, but nothing to the extent of North America. So um, fair play to them for backing him, um, is what I'd say. And, and Ben, for you, the Jockeys' Championship, who's going who's gonna to prevail? Uh, as, no, as Kate sort of said, it's a brilliant narr- narrative, and I, and I just hope the media pick up on it enough. I think sometimes it does yeah. just sort of fall away sometimes, and I, I hope that 
10 becomes five or five becomes three and we really have a, a tussle to the line. I just I just hope if Oshin is to win it, he wins it by by more than or or loses it, loses it by more than two because he vitalized on his third start for me, finished second when Oshin rode him. So so I hope to to goodness it's not my fault that he either loses. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, I, I think Oshin will, will probably just get his head over the line, but I hope it's a it's a neck instead of a head. It was that bloody mm. Ben James. He told it me the horse is a good yeah, thing. Uh, <laughs> the end of the career, having it just started. So let, let's hope that's not the case. But but two fantastic jockeys and hopefully a great tussle that, I mean, imagine if it went down to Champions Day. We've not had that before. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That would be class. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the fact that Oshin is throwing everything at it, because one of the first times I interviewed him was being about champion jockey again, and he was saying about how his next-door neighbor is none other than Tony McCoy. And he said, I have no idea how he did it. I don't know how he managed to do 20. I don't know how he managed to come back from all the injuries he did to reel back in Richard Johnson again. Sorry, Richard. Uh, to reel Richard in again if he built up a lead and go on to be champion again. And I said, is that something that you want to do? Like, Do you want to persist in the quest to be champion jockey. He said, oh, God, no. No, 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 no. And here he is again, throwing everything at it. So it's, I think it's great to see because these are two group one class and group one winning jockeys and uh, cream rises to the top and they're throwing everything at it. So, um, yeah, let's get it down to Champions Day. Let's get it down to the the handicap on Champions Day. Mm. <laughs> and they're both riding in it and one just needs to, one desperately has to win it. And, um, oh, yeah, let's do that. Let's, what is it? Is seven furlong handicap on, on Champions Day or is it a mile handicap? I have a feeling it's a mile, but I, I don't know what happened when they changed it from being the apprentice race. I don't know whether. Oh, yeah, remember? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think they just went, fuck you, apprentices. We're making this Champions Day, baby. <laughs> Um, so let's, uh, let's have a champion's day. Let's have it be all about Ascot. And, um, one of them wins the champion stakes. And then it means that the other has to win to tie. Oh, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> oh, can't wait. Uh, Ben, where can our listeners follow you on social media? Uh, all over the shop being Ben David James on Instagram and my Twitter handle. I'm my my Twitter knowledge and sort of um, adeptness is struggling, but I'm Ben James 0426 on Twitter. So there'll be plenty of stuff going on there in the next next few days, weeks, and hopefully months as we we go through the winter. And then I'm even starting to sort of think round to to how we're going to attack uh, 2022. Yeah, I was just going to say to you, is that one of the things that you do, that you are very active on social media and you showcase what you're doing at the yard and different things like that? Uh, absolutely. Um, it's something I'm definitely looking to improve on because sometimes I, I focus on the runners, but we miss the day-to-day, which a lot of people like to see. Um, you just get caught up sometimes in your, in your routine and your, your hustle and your whatever, and you I just need to stop and think sometimes. But um, no, it's as I say, Ben David James or at Whitcomb Racing Stables is the is the official racing um, Instagram. So definitely give that a follow and and watch what we're doing um, because it'd be it'd be really nice for people to get involved. Excellent, and of course Ben is the 
uh, 426th of his name, not including the zero on social media. So Ben James 0426 on Twitter um, will tag you in the promotional tweet because we're going to do a promotional tweet for this show, aren't we, Tuala? Yes, Jesus Christ. Um, Kay Tracy, uh, you're back with us mm. soon as well. As, mm. uh, as we now got our clutches back into you. Finally, finally. <laughs> yeah, no, soon, soon enough. I have no idea when, but yeah, soon enough for Pe- sure. People were worried, and that's always a good uh, sign. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> that's always a good sign. I believe it's next week, by the way. Whether it's the Monday or the Thursday, I'm not sure, but I believe it's next week. Um, so you okay. stay safe. And uh, Ben, an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, look forward to chatting to you again, and uh, hopefully about your prospects with uh, potential Guinea's Hope. That'll be nice. That'll be a nice feeling. Thanks, Ham. It's been an absolute blast. It's been great having you on, my friends. And thanks so much for um, all of your opinions and thoughts and analysis. And uh, the same for you, Kate. Um, Great to have you on. And looking forward to chatting to you again very soon on the show. No, yeah, it was awesome. Thanks so much. And great to have Ben on as well. So, yeah, that was was really good fun. So, thanks to your company, guys. Uh, We have some exciting things that we're supposed to mentioned soon but we'll, we'll hold off we'll hold off for uh for, for a second we'll hold my off uh also somebody messed up the um upload of the laura king podcast last week that was actually me i can't blame Tuala for that uh so you get two final forum podcasts um over the next couple of days because we'll release that tomorrow so we're looking back on irish champions weekend and uh, discussing it. there's a lot there with laura to get stuck into so it's well worth hearing and uh, hopefully you will enjoy this show um do support the coasts, the Cycled Coasts um, charity. It's all in aid of a, of a great man and uh, and great people. Um, Francis Crowley, his late wife, did a, a fantastic interview with um, David Jennings in the trade paper. If you want to read that as well, um, so coast to cycle, um, give what you can and support him if you want to be there on the day. By all means, go and support it as well. And um, hard to believe that a year has gone by since Pat's mom passed away. Um, look after yourself, stay safe, stay healthy, and watch out for these O'Brien two-year-olds because they are firing in. We're going to find out which one of them is going to win the Derby by next week. I promise you. And by promise you, I'm crossing my fingers so it doesn't count. Uh, talk to you soon. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Final Furlong Podcast, proudly brought to you by Tote. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast app.